Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 29, Act 1. Ali Santana, There's No Slash in Innovation, recorded July 17th, 2019 in New York City. All prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA listeners. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. I am proud to announce that in this time of social distancing and staying home, that the podcast has launched a video series on YouTube called Keep Making Art. This is in partnership with Creative Generation. And through this collaboration, we are exploring how creatives are making and sharing art, and or guiding others to make and share art. Subscribe to the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body YouTube channel, along with all the other social media platforms. And you know what they are, but are you? Are you following? You should. Facebook, we're on the Twitter, and we're also on Instagram. Last month, I said, you are not alone. And this month, I'm saying the same thing. And I have to say that this project is really helping me to connect and learn. The conversations are super interesting. They're timely and they're very uplifting for me. And I hope for you. And during these scary times, I, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm not trying to gloss over the health crisis or the amount of American, Americans who have passed away from this insidious disease or how many are sick or how many um, folks on the front lines uh, lack the medical resources or the protective gear, or how deeply communities of color are impacted, or women are impacted, or the millions and millions of people who are unemployed, including artists who are very vulnerable in this collapsing economy. But I do think that this is an opportunity for us to search for the hope, to search for the positive in the midst of all of this so that positive energy, creative energy, and action can actually take hold, uplift us, and push us through this moment and forward past this crisis. So that's why we're doing this. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this episode has two parts. Up first is the first half of a short interview I did with musician Daniel Levy, who's the author of a book, a new book that's out called A Teaching Artist Companion. 
I wrote an article about the book uh, for Teaching Artists Skilled quarterly, and that should be out this spring. And in this chat, we learn about the seed, the seed of the idea for the book and how it took shape uh, through the process to get it to publishing. Daniel. Courtney J. Oh, Courtney J. Nobody calls me that. I like that. Uh, isn't it a Southern thing? You do the first name and your second name too? That, yeah, so Courtney Jean would be... Would be, the J stands for Gene. Oh, I did. I thought it was actually J A Y. No, it's Gene. Oh okay. no, yeah, it's a J. The J is um, stands for Gene. Courtney Gene. Courtney Gene. Nobody calls me that. <laughs> but it is Southern. My dad was Southern. So. Did your parents call you ever call you Courtney? Like when you were in trouble, Courtney Gene. I don't remember ever getting um, the you know the full the full name treatment. Courtney you were, Jean you were never body. in trouble. Oh, I was always in trouble. <laughs> Always, but uh, I don't remember getting that. I would get a Courtney, like a like a deep, like what are you doing moment. But I don't remember ever getting the middle, the middle name in there. It probably happened. I just don't remember. <laughs> well, okay. Now this is really starting. <laughs> okay, so we are here to talk about a book that you wrote that you released last fall. Yes, What's the name of the book? It's called. A Teaching Artist's Companion, How to Define and Develop Your Practice. And how did this book come about? You just told me off record how long it took you. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's, you know, now where I'm 13 years since the origin of like having the idea to do it. I guess I was, I was, uh, it was about 2006, 2007, Mm -hmm. I was uh, finishing up my time at Lincoln Center. It was called, then it was Lincoln Center Institute. Now it's Lincoln Center Education. I'd been a music TA with them for 13 years, mm. and I was in the um, the teaching artist cohort that met, you know, on a monthly basis to sort of examine our practice and and share our work with each other and self improve over you know many years. That's what all of us do mm. is observe our practice and self improve. Um, and within that work, I felt like we were really coming on some principles that were consistent across art forms, across populations and people that we were working with. Mm. I thought, hey, why aren't we like talking about these things and sort of presenting them to the world? Because this would be helpful to know for people who are just beginning. Mm. You know, here's kind of some of the mechanics that are gonna happen no matter what your art form is, no matter where you're working. These are some things that are gonna, you need to sort of be aware of, or it would be helpful if you were aware of and made some decisions about. And I, um, I approached the administration about, you know, why aren't we doing this? And they said, well, that's, that's not what we do here. Mm. We, everybody designs what they do, and we don't really sort of move it in a direction like that. Mm. And I said, I think I'm ready to move on then, because I'm, I'm thinking about these things, and I want to share them. Mm-hmm. So I walked away from a really good job, because wow. uh, it wasn't because the view wasn't quite what I wanted to do anymore like I was something else was coming up for Mm, me mm -hmm. and I was unemployed for a while and then I so I I bopped around to a couple different organizations including Young Audiences and Broadway Theater Institute and again the fit wasn't great between my set of beliefs and sort of what was happening at the institution and also there again I didn't feel like I had agency within the programs to shape them Mm which is something that I needed more scope to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And about that time, I thought, maybe I, maybe I can make this into a book. 
these ideas and I started drafting a book and here's the, I, I was, I'm going to say I was not a writer. Mm. I know how to read. I know how to think, mm -hmm. but to call myself a writer at that point would have been uh, false and self-aggrandizing. Mm. I started writing. That doesn't mean I was a writer. So I was like drafting my way into this and like thinking, oh, what are these, what, what do I want to say? Mm. And um, some ideas came together and... Is this what we want to do now? Should I tell the story yeah, of how the book came about? I love about? it. I, you're, you're making my job very easy. Oh, okay. Go. go. <laughs> um, I don't want to, um, So a friend uh, had a contact with Oxford University Press and, and looked at the book and said, I think this looks good. Why don't you take it over here? And I said, I, I can't take it over there. He said, I'll, we'll get you in there. I got into the office of the head of the, uh, the uh, music division at Oxford, mm. which was Suzanne Ryan. And she looked at the manuscript that I had then, which was, I don't know, you know, several thousand words. I don't know what, what it was. It wasn't that long. Mm. Um, and she said, come have lunch. And I said, oh, great. This sounds really good. Maybe this is going to happen. And we sat down to lunch. And she said, all right, um, you have a lot of good ideas here. But I got to tell you, we would never publish this book because your tone is all wrong. Mm. I was just way too, it was way too casual I mean, just like trying to be palsy with the reader mm. and the language structure was just so informal that that as an academic press, they were not going to be able to publish it. Got it. So she said, if you would go back and work on the tone and give this more shape, well, we can look at it again. But so she sent me right back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. And that made me aware also that the book didn't have a structure. It's like so many of the books that are available for teaching artists to work with uh, are, and also the, the teaching artist uh, journal. A lot of what we uh, present to each other to try to help us, to help each other grow mm -hmm. is anecdotal. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the story of what happened when I was doing this residency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you read it carefully and think about sort of what the design was, how things fell out and what you can glean uh, like, core ideas from that mm -hmm. but it's a process you have to go through with these anecdotes mm -hmm. is what was the situation how did it turn out um what does that tell us about the work that we're doing so there's a lot of anecdotes out there and there's a lot of sort of scholarly work that's also sort of dense and number driven mm -hmm. um that's really wonderful if that's what's going to help you um i knew that i wasn't going to write a super scholarly work and I didn't want to write a book that was so anecdotal that it lacked a structure. And the other thing is that we present to each other is lists. Like these are the 27 things that every teaching artist <laughs> needs to know how to do. Mm. And there's no sense of priority. Right. Or, you know, these are more important than these. It's all sort of, these are the great things that we should know how to do and it benefits us to know how to do. Right. I didn't want that to happen either. I thought mm. there is a sense of hierarchy in what we do. Now, what is it? Mm. So that started six years of rewrites. I mean, like going back through the text mm. over and over again and not just rewrites, but uh, because of the work that I do, I can often, I often end up teaching the same basic lesson to numerous groups mm -hmm. of participants or children so i have a chance to tweak 
both on a like really minute level, like how am I going to phrase this invitation or how am I going to phrase this open question? Mm. Like if it, if it does go well, I can tweak it one way or the other. If it doesn't go well, I can rework it and keep trying to get it to really be effective mm. in all the classes all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, some lessons I will teach uh, 15 times. Yeah. Like, like if I'm working for a 90 second street, why this mm-hmm, is the program mm-hmm. We're we're at stage two of three. Yeah. I get to teach that 15 times. Right. So I can really, there's two things that can happen. I can tweak it. And as I'm working on the book at home, I'm thinking, okay, if I believe this is true, go out and test it. Mm. And is it really true? Right. Did, was it true in this class? Was it true in this class? Was it true in this class? Was it true with this group of people in this prison? Mm-hmm. Was it true with this group of mothers at this um, uh, shelter? Was it true over here with these third graders? Was it true with these high school kids? Mm-hmm. Just keep pushing it and stuff that and stuff didn't make the cut. If I didn't find it was true, I got to take it out because right. I can't say this really works. You want to you were trying to create something or codify something that was universal. Right. Universally Universally useful. useful. Yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. And that's mm-hmm. um and in a way there was a I'm inter- I'm gonna interrupt the story of the flow of how the book got done to say uh, teaching artists I mean, nobody, especially artists, wants to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. So I knew I don't want to write also I I mean I knew a lot of things I didn't want the book to be, right? I don't want a book that tells people what to do. I, I don't think that would be welcome mm. or effective, actually. Uh, and it doesn't make the most of the way that artists engage with their work and self-develop their practice and the way they bring their love and care and heart and intellect to mm. the work. Mm. But what I found was uh, that what I came up with eventually uh, was a, a series of invitations to reflect. And that's the way I see the book is it's, mm-hmm. okay, come look at your work this way because I think if you do, you're going to find that within that look at it this way structure, there are, you will be able to see clearly what you're doing and then start to do those tweaks um, that are based on what's really happening in your workshops and classrooms mm-hmm. if you use this uh, this method. Um, should I finish the story of the Please. how that book got done? Please. So rewrites, rewrites, this rewrites. This is also helpful for me as one who's thinking about writing a book. So. Oh, you should. I really <laughs> hope you do. Yeah. I, boy, I really hope you do. <laughs> um, at a certain, I, I took it back to Oxford and Suzanne and she mm-hmm. said, hey, this is much better. Mm. Let's do this. Let's go to contract. So we started the the contract and then she said, oh, oh and by the way, there's a, there's a three-stage peer review process. Mm. So here's our first stage and they sent it to a couple of readers who did. Now, is that because it's an academic press or is that normal, the, the review process? Well, I don't know if it's normal for everybody, but it, it, it is for academic presses. Mm, okay. um, and there's three types of peer review that got done. There was a sort of a, a once-over from two readers. They gave it a, a once and they got they gave me they're so generous i got like 14 pages of notes wow and i went through the notes and i just went oh yeah this would make it better mm-hmm. oh yeah this would make mm-hmm. it better i had no i had very little filter yeah, yeah the only problem was when they recommended different things i had to choose choices, one or the other yeah. but i was like mm-hmm. i want this to be as good as it can okay mm-hmm. here we go yes all those are good changes yeah then came the next round where uh two two people re- did a very close read and came back with more notes. Mm-hmm. 
And am I getting this right? Yeah. And then there was the round where they give it to a number of academic professionals and this isn't their field. Nice. Wow. That's actually, yeah. And oh. then they read it and came back and said, well, you say it's this, but is it really that? And what the, their main mm. thing was, they, they said, you say it, this is a book for teaching artists uh, in any discipline, but you've got a lot of musical mm -hmm. examples in here. Mm. And this is all about, you know, you're basing it. I mean, I use... Uh, readers will find that I I think stories of my failures are maybe the most instructive thing. So mm -hmm. I put a lot of stories of mm -hmm. lessons that I had that tanked. Right. That where I had like some wrong, dumb idea or wrong idea, or I wasn't being responsive, and I just tell the story of that and then how that worked out. But they said it's a lot of you and it's a lot of music, and a reader really might not feel welcomed in if they're in dance or theater mm -hmm. or visual art. I said, uh, okay. I, it's really more about the principles, but I'm not going to argue with that. Mm. Let let me make the feel let me make the reader feel more welcome. So, I started reaching out to teaching artists across the country, right. and uh, out of the like 30 people I contacted, I think we have 18 teaching artists not from New York, mm -hmm. not not music mm -hmm. from all across the country, poets, dancers, yeah. visual artists, mm -hmm. and they appear in uh, significant, um, both in significant sidebars within the work mm -hmm. where they tell anecdotes right. of their work that are related to the themes in the book, uh, as well as they all, um, they all presented this very, one of the central ideas in the book is the idea that we each have a set of beliefs and values about teaching and learning mm -hmm. and in the structure of the book that's called your view mm -hmm. the book is mostly generated sort of according to my view but i invited all these people to define their view mm -hmm. according to a series of seven prompts and collected all their views in one place mm -hmm. and they're organized two ways um you can see a person's seven prompted mm -hmm. view ideas mm -hmm. in one reading and then in the next section uh you see the view idea, and you see the 16 different people's response to right. that prompt mm -hmm. from their different art forms, from their different regions mm -hmm. in the country and the different populations and yeah. groups that they work with. Mm -hmm. So this, that was what infused the book with what is just, I mean, it's just undeniably, everybody's in there, we're talking about the same stuff. Yeah. We're looking at the same principles, the same dynamics. Um, we care about the same things. We say it differently. Yes. Um, and I think there's something really thrilling about seeing that manifest in the words of these artists smart accomplished mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. and articulate too mm -hmm. so you can really hear their voices uh both in the sidebars and anecdotes and in the ways that they articulate their views and i think there's some really interesting bounce with between what they emphasize or not mm. as they as we do this so uh, you know, happily, I was able to place some of those things in ways that, you know, you get to the end of a section where I'm talking about one thing, and then suddenly there's somebody else shining a very different light on mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's healthy and uh, and vital. Yeah. So I'm really uh, indebted to all these people. And if it was appropriate, I would read their names right now <laughs> out loud. Well, you got to read the book to find out who's who. Okay, you know, who's yeah, part fair of that, enough. The, the fabulous 18. Um, okay, so that was a very long story. <laughs> so they got in the book, we mm -hmm. got... and. And then I was just supposed to make these little changes. They said, okay, now clean up, you know, do your proofreading. I just kept rewriting. Oh. Like, 
I, I went through that book, I think about 17 or 18 times from wow. beginning to end because I had time. Yeah. Um, I had time to do it and I wanted it. You know, once it's out there, I can't change it. That's true. I got to make it as good as I can. There could be a um, second edition. Yeah. Oh God, please. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No more, no pressure. No and pressure. I do want to give a shout out to Ava Lehrer. She's mm. right now the uh, the artistic director at the Center for Arts Learning Leadership at 92nd Street Y, mm-hmm. and she's running some great new programs there. And I'm happy to write curriculum for them. And I've been a teaching artist for them for 14 years. I love the work they do, but she very specifically helped me with the early chapters of the book. She has a background in poetry and writing, mm-hmm. and I had the intuition that she would be a good editor. And early, at some point in the middle of my writing process, I said, hey, could I hire you to edit some of this? Would you give me feedback? Mm. And she did, um, which is different from the feedback that my wife Margaret gives me. Margaret gives me, you don't need this page, this page, or this page. <laughs> This paragraph, take that all out of there. Um, Ava was a little more precise, mm. just as valuable. Um, precise and asked me great questions. Mm. And after she did two chapters with me that way, it's like it's almost like she taught me to be a better writer mm. by the stuff that she was pointing out. Right. Like, and also, I read a book by I think Daniel Pinker, The Sense of Style, mm. which was an amazing book about writing. Okay. That had a big effect on me. That's great. It's about writing in classic style. Just trying to be super clear. Mm. Get to it. Move on. Get to it. Move mm. on. That's great. So, so it, it's it's good to know that writing a book, like most people, are only getting the product, right? And to have a better sense of what that process looks like to get to the book um, is really interesting and and good to know as somebody who is also doesn't consider themselves like a, a, a writer but wants to wants to embark on such a project to know that you know it takes time whatever that time is and it also sounds like you need support right so you're you're reaching out to the resources that you currently have as well as yeah. uh, being connected with other kinds of resources to help yeah. make the most effective uh, piece uh, for based on this kind of uh, absolutely absolutely the peer reviewers book, were yeah. invaluable mm-hmm. um anybody that read it uh you know really helped mm-hmm. uh, at the various stages it was different kinds of help uh, at different points i'm in the process of writing a, an article <laughs> about this book and um, yeah, i'm, so I'm not are. a theorist as strongly though while i was reading the book i was like oh i totally recognize all of those these these elements and these are things that I absolutely do. I just don't necessarily call them uh, in the same way or have ever named them specifically beyond yeah. the sort of theory that I I got in um, grad school. Yeah, and uh, and so I thought, okay, if I'm a practitioner, but I understand, I want to look at these frameworks. How can I actually? engage with these in a way that feels authentic to me and so as somebody who doesn't get to to teach a ton as a director of education um that that i i actually had an opportunity to do so Mm. and thought okay well i'm using this content that i i have taught to students teachers uh grad students um you know all sorts of, of people um, so this was a workshop that was really road tested like, for you. It's like it's been road tested for years, and it's one of my favorite go tos. Like I have a lot. I have like that canon of here's some content that I just enjoy, and I sort of handpick based on whatever the situation is. But yeah. this one it, it gets utilized in so many different ways, and actually can be used for 
different purposes. So um, in this particular instance, I was working with middle school students that I would never see again, never Mm -hmm. saw before. Um, And we would do some improv based on physical vocabulary and take away script writing. So they were theater students um, who are often starting with a script. And according to their teacher, she wanted them to figure out how they can start to move or connect their body movements with that text. So by stripping away text, we could just focus on that and start adding that in later. Um, and so I decided to try and utilize the, some of the frames or the framework that was in the book um, as a way to prepare and then reflect. It was really exciting to go through that process and look at it through another lens, look at my work through another lens. That's great. I am so glad you did it that way because mm-hmm. the the point of the work is that the the book presents ideas that sort of help you examine your practice um you know to look at the structure of an activity to look at the types of interactions that happen in a classroom Teaching Artistry Podcast has partnered with Association of Teaching Artists for a three-month episode series highlighting the 2019 ATA Award recipients. And last month, we featured Ed Friedman and Maura O'Malley from Lifetime Arts. And this month, we are featuring Ali Santana, who is a, uh, an audio-visual artist. And it was absolutely lovely to, to get to know Ali through this conversation and to hear the journey that led him to ultimately be the recipient of the ATA Innovation in Teaching Award. Here is Ali Santana, episode 29, act one, there's no slash in innovation. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where uh, do you want to talk about where we are now? We're in the middle of Times Square, mm-hmm. the belly of the beast. On the hottest, muggy, soupiest muggy. day it, of the it, summer. It needs to rain. Oh, gosh. Hey, Just, what's your name? My name is, <laughs> is Ali Santana. Yeah, Ali. And where are you from? I'm from Brooklyn, New York. What? what? Oh, I'm an audio visual mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Lately, I've kind of been trying not to put myself in a box. Don't. I just like to be creative. So like, I like if I want to take photographs, I'll take photographs. Mm-hmm. If I want to make a collage, I'll do that. If I want to make a sculpture, maybe do that or a video or a film. And um, are you trained in it or like, are you, when you're being creative, are you going with what mediums you've been trained in? Or is it, you are truly like a Renaissance man. Like you are able to, even if it's a novice type of situation. Uh, yeah. Even if I'm new to something, I always like to experiment. Mm. Um, so, like, when you say trained, it's hard for me to, like, think back. I went to school for uh, computer animation and interactive media. Uh, but I kind of only picked that major because I was already doing those things. And I figured it would be easy for me to get good grades. <laughs> so, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm doing it already. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'm think I'm pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I think just the more you do something, the better you get at it. So there are certain things that I'm not as good at, mm-hmm. but if I'm interested enough, like I'll 
you'll, I'll you'll, keep trying at it yeah. or, or, you know, keep messing with it until I'm okay. I'm at a, I'm at a place in my life. I've decided this isn't, this is probably not cool, but I'm saying it that I am a woman of a certain age. And as a woman <laughs> of a certain age, I, um, I'm trying not to close myself off to things. So the farmer's market, I did try right, and I turned myself around, but now you're making me think differently. So maybe I'll try it again. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm trying to stay open mm-hmm. to different, um, experiences, different opportunities that flow my way that, especially when they're unanticipated, right. You know, like if I'm free for something, today i mean i got a got an invitation to go to the shed and i was like no i can't i've i've already so i'm gonna commit to my commitments but if there are opportunities for being creative or experiencing something Mm -hmm. new or doing something different even when i have even if i have like that negative right um initial reaction i'm trying to push past that to say keep 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 an open mind i'm trying to do the same thing it's very difficult um yeah i'm trying to Go to as many things now and, mm-hmm. you know, be present a little bit more. I can be a little bit of a homebody mm. sometimes because I'm comfortable at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I feel like it's summertime. It's probably good to be out and about and seen and, you know. But Agreed. Yeah. But I think generally all seasons I just need to be out a little bit more oh no in the winter i definitely hermit yeah i feel like i've been hibernating though for like the past four to five years so interesting i see people now and they're like hey where you been well i feel like when you say four to five years there might be a reason for that definitely (laughs) there's definitely a reason for that yeah i have a a Mm four-year-old son mm -hmm. so for me it was just kind of like getting over the shock of new parenthood and and out of the the cloud of smoke you know like now i'm finally emerging like okay i think i got the hang of this right it you takes know. that long it seems i don't have kids myself yeah. but i've watched other families and they are exactly the same they're like you gotta you gotta figure out what this is so yeah. are things that you know it's it's life-changing it'll change your whole routine uh-huh. your everything mm-hmm. i'm way less spontaneous than i used to be mm-hmm. so i think before back in the day somebody be like hey you want to go out yeah let right. me out. Let me just throw on some clothes. I'll be right out. Mm. And now it's like, let me check my calendar. I got to schedule this. And like, hold on, let me check in with you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot more difficult to schedule things. But I'm still trying to make that effort. You know, instead of defaulting to just falling asleep on the couch like Word. I've been doing. I'm very. Know? I've been known to wake up at like all hours of the night and be like, what? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, routines. Are and right. now you're feeling like you're coming out of your cocoon again and being able to experience the world a little bit, a little bit more. Because my son is more, uh, he's more independent now, mm. um, so he can do things on his own. And it's just like he's he's sleeping through the night, you know, which is a big deal. Big deal. Uh, so that means you sleep through the night. <laughs> well, and actually, I don't. I just stay up and work. Yeah. Now I'm trying to get work done um, when he goes to sleep. I see. So kind of trying to catch up, make up for lost time. So I know that you're not you're not slashing yourself, meaning you're not I'm this and slash this slash mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But in all the different creative mediums, like what's the work um, that you feel like this is what I'm excel not excelling at, but feeling like really strong uh, is is what you're being known for out in the world and or you're facilitating in educational settings um i think well i've been telling most people like 
the easy answer, which is I'm an audiovisual artist or an audiovisual performing artist, which is a new thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, people go, what, what's that? And uh, to put it simply, like I like to make sounds and noises, but also images too. And sometimes I like to do that in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So that's where the performance aspect comes. But um, I guess back to my schooling, I was like trained in animation and that got me interested in music videos and film and motion graphics and i was working as a motion graphics designer for a long time um and working for mtv and it was a a really creative and cool job until i forget what year they had this total rebranding and the network decided that they wanted to have like a more uniformed design or uh look Mm -hmm. so they created these templates for everybody to work uh work with and that kind of took the creativity out of most Mm -hmm. of 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 the work um and we were just kind of like designing from a template on a grid Mm -hmm. and that wasn't really what i wanted to do i really wanted to come up with like funky ideas and new ways of doing things Mm -hmm. um and that kind of like was my shift into into fine art i guess um kind of dealing more with abstract imagery and and abstract ideas and it kind of progressed uh like I was starting to make video art um on my own and it was like really kind of messy and gritty which is the style that I I really like and um I was getting frustrated with the time it would take to make these things Mm. because when you're working with uh, digital video uh, you have to render everything, which means that you have to export your movie. Or if you are working with motion graphics, you have to let the computer process all these different frames of video before you can play it back in real time. Oh. And I felt like that was that created a, a a distance between like me and the creativity. And I, I felt like I needed something more, something I worked in real time. Like if I if I did something on the computer, I could see the results of it immediately because that would inspire the next thought or the next idea. Mm. And so I'd kind of been like uh, researching and and kind of just online and saw that people were doing live visuals, Uh, people working as VJs uh, at different musical venues or concerts and creating images in real time that went with music. And I was like, oh, this is kind of dope. Like this is still keeping in theme with like, you know, uh, with the audiovisual work and the mm-hmm. film work, but they're doing it in real time. You can you can change a color or an effect or on something and see it as you do it. And another thing that was interesting to me is that uh, these artists were using like keyboards and musical controllers to actually change the parameters of mm. the visual art that they were creating, and just having like a tactile physical instrument. Uh, made a big difference to me so like now it was like i was like playing images like somebody would play music and that really got me interested in live performance um and i've kind of just been experimenting with that Mm. ever since um so also around the same time that i started experimenting with that uh a friend of mine was working at the museum of modern art and she had found out that uh, they were looking for a video artist to a video artist and an educator to um, collaborate with a teen program there and uh, she encouraged me to apply and I, I got together like some of my work and I sent it in and uh, that was kind of the beginning of 
incorporating uh like education into my artistic practice mm-hmm. um so to go back like at my time at mtv when they were when they implemented this new templated design oh we kind of had like some free time now and then because we weren't designing as much we, you know there was some some downtime while mm-hmm. we were rendering videos and uh Tumblr was really popular at the time. Tumblr.com. It was like a microblogging website. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would share animated GIFs on the platform. And that was like a big deal. And uh, also at the same time, MTV2 was airing old episodes of um, the Waynes Brothers and mm. and Martin, um, the sitcom that used to come on Fox. Mm-hmm. And so like, when we were in the in the graphics room where we all worked, uh, the editor next to me got a hard drive of all the episodes of all these shows in order to cut together promos. Mm. So I was like, I stood up next to the editor and I was like, "Hey, can I can I borrow that hard drive for a minute? Can I can I see that?" You know, and she she gave it to me, mm. and I kind of just copied all the all the episodes off of there, and I would just watch them in my downtime. But not just watch them, but kind of like wait for the funniest parts or the parts that I felt were with the movement was interesting. And I, I started to make these animated loops out of uh, out of the shows. So the Waynes brothers, especially Marlon Waynes, is, is a very uh, like physical comedian. Mm-hmm. He's always dancing or doing something crazy. Yeah. And I found out that like his movements were like really easy to loop. And I was making these like seamlessly looped uh animated gifs and putting them on tumblr and they got really really popular mm. and they were shared a lot and eventually word got around the office that i was making these can i ask a, a mini question sure what does gif stand for graphical interchange format or format or graphics interchange format and there's like a big um controversy or discussion over how to pronounce gif there sure is because it's gif and then gif mm-hmm. because they're like you don't say uh jaffics right you know it's graphics um gif so but i like i like gif um i like gif too it sounds better a gif sounds too much like peanut butter to me agreed you know okay continue um so i was making these gifs and the word got around the mtv office that i was doing it and eventually they wanted to put these things on air to promote the shows um and they almost went to air, but something happened. And I'm sure, because wouldn't there be some rights things going on well, there? Well, I think they had the rights to the shows oh. because they were airing them already, so they were allowed oh. to use them. But but maybe there was some sort of clause in that you couldn't like repurpose the material. I think somebody just got fired. Who was who was who's heading that project? <laughs> um, it's kind of like oh. a, <laughs> that was the thing at MTV. They kind of clean house every so often to keep ideas fresh, and so people wow. it was just kind of like people were just that's ruthless yeah that's that's kind of the thing there um (laughs) but i I still had all these uh gifts Mm -hmm. and um when moma had contacted me to see like examples of my work i sent some of that and that those were actually like the pieces that that got me the gig over there they were like Mm -hmm. yo this is perfect the teenagers Mm -hmm. are going to relate to this um and that's what got me started with like incorporating the educational aspect into my own practice uh cool yeah so how i know you or how i've met you is Mm -hmm. because you received an award this year Mm -hmm. from the association of teaching artists aka ata um did you know that you were nominated for that award 
Like, when did you learn about the award? I learned about it um, when I got a phone call from, I forget his name, David, David I want to yeah. say. Yeah, David called me and said, you've gotten this award. <laughs> um, so th- nobody told you that they had nominated you? Not clearly like that. Mm-hmm. I'd kind of been like getting requests for like, uh articles that were written about me like supporting material Mm -hmm. and i think that those were uh like the requirements in order to nominate somebody you needed to have uh yeah yeah, some kind of like presence online yeah it was just you know can we google Google yeah (laughs) yeah so so give us some stuff so that we are i I thought that was kind of not strange but just out of nowhere but then (laughs) yeah why you want this thing that article okay i'll find it um (laughs) <laughs> that's funny but then it was so it was surprising when 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 david called me mm-hmm. i was walking my son to school when he called and mm-hmm. i called him back and he was like yeah you won i was like oh, you know i haven't <laughs> won anything in a while i felt like i was like winning the lottery for a minute but it was really kind of just flattered yeah you know that i was being recognized for something that i love doing so so I, I can't give too much away, but mm-hmm. I will say I was on the board okay. of Association of Teaching Artists. I was a part of the nominating or the review mm-hmm. committee. And there were a lot of great submissions, a yeah. lot of great ones. And yours definitely um, stood out to me for several reasons. And probably the same reason why you got the job at the Met. It was that the MoMA. Oh, sorry. Oh, my goodness <laughs> gracious. How dare I <laughs> confuse the two? Sorry, the moment. That's museum beef right there. Oof. You don't want that. I don't even want to get all up in that. <laughs> uh, MoMA uh, was was um, yeah. What stu- stood out to me was was that work and the pride that the young people had in sharing their own creations. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is just something like. I mean, it was called the Innovative Award, so mm-hmm. we needed mm-hmm. to find somebody who was doing something that felt like I don't know, like you said the word gritty before. There's some, there was something sort of like gritty about it, but also um, warm to the kids. Yeah. I don't know how to, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, that's what I took away at least. I think it was. It's just like honest i wasn't trying to be anything else with mm-hmm. these classes they kind of just mm-hmm. brought me on for what i was doing already so mm-hmm. it wasn't like i was like trying to present them and you know an, an image of somebody who i wasn't or yeah. like trying to fit into a mold already they kind of just wanted me to show the work that i was interested in doing right and i think because of that there was just like i was really comfortable kind of teaching what i was learning and the kids or the students were receptive to that and i don't know it was it just kind of it worked out you know i don't i don't know all the pieces that that were in place that made that made that happen but yeah, yeah. so when you when you did get that job mm-hmm. going back to to the actual start of mm-hmm. working at moma um had you ever taught before yeah i had taught um actually like my first job out of college was at <clears throat> i was an education coordinator at uh bcat which is uh, Brooklyn Cable Access Television. Mm. Um, BCAT, I think, is like since it's now become Brick. Brick, yeah. Um, and uh, 
which has very interesting programming. Yeah, they they have definitely like expanded to do all this amazing stuff. And when I've I was been on Brick before, yeah, on the t- on the news channel. Oh yeah, or show whatever. But yeah, anyway. then I think they're winning like awards and what? stuff like that. They've nice. got a lot of good programming. Yeah. Um, and I remember like this. They've even got like a new building and a new space, or the mm-hmm. renovated building, mm-hmm. and they were planning. They were making all these plans while I was um, while I was working there. Excuse me, and um. I was the education coordinator there, so mm-hmm. I was teaching community members uh, classes on video blogging, graphic design, um, uh, what else? The motion graphics, editing. And this is like, what year is this? This is maybe like 2006, 2007, okay. before uh, a lot of these different platforms have taken off. Yeah. So like blogging wasn't, as big of a thing as it is now mm-hmm. um or like video blogging wasn't blogging. as big yeah yeah now mm-hmm. like you have these in- instagram and youtube influencers who like mm-hmm. make you know they have millions of followers from mm-hmm. doing this but like back then it was like a brand new concept especially for people who were only used to like um tv and these were people who were uh in programs where they were learning how to produce television and now it's kind of introducing uh, ways to expand their audience. Like, okay, like, yeah, you got your show on BCAT and all of Brooklyn can see you at whatever your time slot is, but now you can be seen by somebody in like Bucharest, you know, at any time of the day or you're, yeah. you know, anybody in the world could tune in uh, potentially. And that was really kind of like eye opening to a lot of uh, the students that I had. I am so sorry. I just had this whole like visual about you where you you mark the time 2006 before like youtube and Mm -hmm. influence uh like so how social media has um just made the world smaller yeah um in in certain respects and yet more segmented in other Mm -hmm. ways potentially and then it took me all the way to like weaponizing social media and digital right which has been happening and then it took me to the next level of like okay we're really good at weaponizing anything uh-huh. but like what's on the other side oh yeah i can talk about that yeah. like all day i have a lot of opinions about current social media mm-hmm. and what's happening like back when i was teaching those classes it mm-hmm. seemed like so liberating and like wow you can do this and you have all these amazing opportunities and now to see where it's gone is kind of like scary now that I guess companies and commercial interests have, have figured out how to monetize and weaponize mm-hmm. uh, these. It's these the platforms. first time I've used that language, yeah. but I feel like it's right. I mean, well, after the last election, that was yeah. definitely like the weaponization of mm-hmm. social media, mm-hmm. um, with and just like the inundation of like fake news and fake articles and fake everything. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go on a tangent for a second. Please, we love tangents here. Uh, just fake fake everything is mm-hmm. is the new uh that's probably going to be my new like <laughs> screen name or mm-hmm. or perform or stage name or something mm-hmm. like that but i feel like you can't trust anything anymore um back in the day you just had to worry about something being photoshopped and be like oh i can tell that was photoshop but now everything can be fake you can fake somebody's voice you can fake somebody's image you can fake somebody's there's a technology called deep faking now yeah. where you can take video 
of someone and like basically attach somebody else's face on there and have it be like really really convincing have you ever watched family matters before yeah there somebody like one of these deep fake artists um took the family matters intro which was uh like a sitcom on abc used to come on fridays with steve urkel jillian white and um, they took the intro where all the characters were introduced and they did a deep fake where they put Mike Tyson's face on all of the characters. But it's done so well and it was done so easily using like artificial intelligence that if you didn't know better, you might have thought that like Mike Tyson was dressed up as all these different <laughs> people. Um, and maybe just like a, a couple of months ago, I wouldn't have like known about that technology the yeah. same. I would have been like really convinced. Uh, but now to see how easy it is to take somebody's face and convincingly put it on somebody else's face is crazy. That's crazy. And working in visual effects, that used to be a really hard thing to do. Mm. It used to take like hours. You you would have to set the scene up right. Um, but now like with the with artificial intelligence kind of coming in, it's really easy to do this stuff. I'm sure maybe you've seen like now the the big thing is like the face app where yeah. everybody's making oh, themselves I do not older. like that at all to me that just tells me that technology has like jumped yeah. again like oh man they got really good at this these are really convincing if you showed me these things mm-hmm. last week i really would have thought that that was like an older member of somebody's family mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. them no i just saw somebody it was their birthday mm-hmm. and they were said you know thanks for my thanks for all the birthday wishes and it said in the bottom corner face app. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why does he, he's not that great. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. He looked really good as an old person. Right. But I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Right. Like I literally saw him a week ago. He did <laughs> not have that gray, but right. I, I wasn't understanding what was happening yeah. until I saw an I article today. And I was like, Oh yeah. I saw a friend. I was like, is everything okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> and that was yeah. the first, that was the first one that I saw it. But now we're all like getting used to it. Um, where but the, I don't like it. I will not do it. Well, there's like a, a lot of concern about it now. Um, I saw an article posted. I didn't read it. I just saw the headline. But mm-hmm. it was like this face app company now has like millions and millions of people's faces in their database. Like what what are they going to do with that? Well, they already. OK, so I got a I got a notification. Didn't also did not read the article that <laughs> that. um <laughs> Some some company is doing a pilot to figure out like face facial recognition. Mm-hmm. And so they I don't know how they got them, but they have like millions of images from OkCupid huh. to do this work. Uh, I'm just going to say I'm on OkCupid <laughs> and I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, these companies <laughs> will sell you out. If if any any of these services that are free mm-hmm. are not really free, mm-hmm. you paying for it mm-hmm. with your face or some other like personal data yeah. that they are mining and mm-hmm. selling and doing something with. So I'm I'm equally as freaked out by the internet as I am like impressed with it at times. So as but as a, a visual audio visual artist, mm. this is your medium or this sorry social media has components of your medium, mm-hmm. and so. What is on the other side of this madness? Is there anything? Please tell me there's something. <laughs> like how do we, instead of weaponizing it, how how can it be leveraged for goodness and hope and you know community building? Ah, uh, I mean, I, it definitely has the social media definitely has the power to connect people mm-hmm. to inform people. Uh, 
the issue I have with it now is that I think we get so distracted by like the trivial nature of it. Like mm-hmm. I was following people I didn't know when place, you know, from different countries, even like just talking to the camera all day. And I was like, well, why am I following these people? Is it, and this is like a big distraction. Like I could be doing work right now. I could be thinking about something. I could even be reading something or looking at something else, but like I'm following all these random people, mm. you know? Um, and I think that everybody's attention is just like gone. We don't have an attention span anymore. Uh, that's longer than like 10 seconds even. And I think that's a concern. Um, it's like back in the day, if you wanted to know something, my parents would be like, go to the library, look in the encyclopedia. And you're like, oh, I'm not doing that. I don't want to go to the library. And then it became like just really easy to Google something because mm-hmm. it was so easy. Um, but I feel like we've always had like this access to information at our fingertips. But when it becomes too much, we like get lazy and we don't want to do that. So like we could be looking anything up on the Internet, but instead we're looking at like cat videos because right. it's the easy thing to do. <laughs> like you could really figure out some some skill to mm-hmm. like take your career to the next level, me mm-hmm. included. But mm-hmm. instead I'm watching like daquan's instagram of like whatever silly stuff is happening at the moment and i get it it's entertainment mm-hmm. but like th- i also need some discipline in terms of like how to use this tool to actually like you know do something productive mm. so this re- this reminds me a little bit this is also taking us on a different kind of tangent but mm-hmm. when i went to high school we didn't have periods we had mods and so a mod was half of a period mm-hmm. so you had two mods was one period or one class time or you had three three mods um, made up science but you only had science twice a week or gym was three mm-hmm. mods right so so they they played with time so there would be some periods in your schedule that where you wouldn't have class that could be lunch but it could also just right. be like uh you know, here's some time. What mm-hmm. are you going to, and, and it was up to you. There were obviously like school rules, but it was up to you of how you were going to use that free time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us were very constructive in that time. Right. Others were not. Yeah. Um, and the concept of that was to help us, you know, take responsibility and have accountability for ourselves as opposed mm-hmm. to it only coming from an authoritative right. space. They have since gotten rid of that oh, yeah. concept. <laughs> but then I remember like going into college and it was the same thing. Like my freshman year in college here, were, you know, all these kids, including me where I didn't like party. I didn't do any of that in high school. Mm-hmm. And here I am like completely free of any sort of parental um, authority and you have to figure it out right. and you have to have some sort of structure and fi- so so what i'm hearing you say that's what it's making mm-hmm. me think of like how i had to come up with rules for myself oh, yeah. where i could have fun here oh, yeah. but not here yeah. or you know it, you're in a play yeah. you're in rehearsal you're maybe your friends are all down at the bar yeah. but you've got to learn your lines so you have to figure that out right so it's the same thing mm-hmm. about like how do you create structure um, and discipline, I guess, for yourself in terms of how you interact with this this platform or the different platforms that are out there. Definitely, I felt I was that I was spending too much time just as uh, I want to call it a consumer. I was just like mm. taking in all all of this all of this data and and information, and I wasn't contributing anything. I was just like looking at people's posts and liking or whatever, engaging with it, but I was not making anything myself Mm -hmm. and that kind of bothered me because it should be like in a balanced exchange in in my opinion and i just felt 
that something was off also mm-hmm. i would see some posts and they'd make me feel like upset i'd see other posts that would make me feel jealous and i was having like or, mm-hmm. or another post that would make me feel mad and some of that would make me feel happy there was some positives there too but i wasn't like cool with the fact that i was kind of like being manipulated by this like platform that it could like that it could create these emotions mm-hmm. um and i was like i can't give this thing that much power um and I decided, like, on in January, on January 1st, I was just going to take a... a of oh, this year? Yeah, this mm-hmm. year. I was going to take a break for a whole month, just not be on social media. And that break felt really, really good. Like, of course, I didn't know all the latest memes and people would be talking. And, and like, I realized how quickly, like, the culture is changing. It's, like, moving lightning speed because people so are saying things. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then it's over. And you're like, yeah. what? And it's, what? like, the latest <laughs> meme, the latest joke, the latest, mm-hmm. you know, thing that the celebrity did. Um, but at the same time, I was reading books. I was like, you know, was more engaged. I was present. Um, I was doing artwork again. And I was like, wow, I'm really distracted. So mm-hmm. I came kind of came back into it thinking that I got to put some limits on on the social media. Mm-hmm. And I have. I kind of peek in and out. and But still not sharing as much as I'd like to. Like, it's a really, the Internet's just a really great platform to share. Mm-hmm. And... I think a lot of my work is just like sitting on hard drives, you know, right now. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to encourage myself to like share more of that nice. stuff. I love that. So I have friends who, okay, there's so many ways I get to go there. Um, okay. So 2018, well, 2016 through 2018 were angry, very, very very angry I'm still angry, but mm-hmm. I went into 2019 making some distinct choices Mm -hmm. you know one of which was how do i leverage my social media um for either information or for how i'm going to contribute to the world but from a place of hope and including actually this podcast so um i like made a distinct like effort to say i know i've been angry and my and very political and that's not going to stop but what i'm going to try and do is like highlight if there's a particular issue with the with the hope could be or what the mm. what a ripple of, of mm-hmm. hope could be or just you know focus on the light as, as opposed to the yeah. dark so that same concept has gone into how i'm trying to manage my social media i have basically three main platforms that mm-hmm. i engage in and wh- how i engage in each of them um shift from time to time but basically now they all have this sort of undercurrent mm-hmm. even if i'm angry <laughs> and right. twitter is the one I'm, on, I'm the most angry on, oh yeah because that's the place to be <laughs> angry um and um but the, you talked about the light speed and that's mm-hmm. where i'm like wait something just happened i saw some sort of notification right. i don't know what's going on i gotta go to the twitter because the twitter has has is churning content like nobody's business yeah. facebook is a place where you can also get content and you can really like get into like a five six seven eight minute article and really mm-hmm. get into mm-hmm. it and then be even more informed and share if you right. wish but on twitter it's usually like sound bitey uh, sometimes there's an article that accompanies and but they're usually short reads so it's quicker yeah, so that yeah, i can yeah. also be like yes this angry thing yes um or or what i'm putting out through the like the podcast is like here are these cool things that are happening and i'm gonna focus on arts and arts education as, yeah. as far as like retweeting and sharing right, right. and their specific groups or platforms that i i mean um entities that i i've kind of continue to share yeah. in those spaces so i'm trying to be 
disciplined, mm-hmm. intentional, mm-hmm. Um, somewhat motivational, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and Instagram is like the happiest place for me. Really? Oh, I love Instagram because I don't follow entities at all. Okay. Only arts education or arts organizations, but yeah. like celebrities, all that, yeah. not so much yeah. like, with the exception of Tiggit Diggs. Cause I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He like, he like followed me and I was like, Oh, I guess I should follow you too. Well, okay. That makes a difference. <laughs> you know, um, but he yeah. follows like everybody. So it's, it's like oh, literally really? a joke now. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I remember, I distinctly remember that moment where like the notification follow? was like, Tay Diggs is now following or he requested to follow day. you. And I was like, what? <laughs> Oh, that's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then side note, another Tay Diggs account hit and I was like, oh, weird. And I sort of accepted it. And then I got a, And then the person slid into my DMs and was like, you're so beautiful. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not Tay Diggs. <laughs> Let's delete. <laughs> Unfollow. Yeah, the internet's crazy like that. Yeah, it's, it's real crazy. But I feel you about um, just being intentional. Uh, there's so much outrage on the internet and on these social media platforms. And I kind of decided that I wouldn't uh, contribute to that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, even if there was like an issue that, that is really like shocking, I've, I've kind of like just figured out like, I, I don't need to share that because everybody else in my circle is already sharing already that. Sharing. And mm-hmm. I've just made a decision. Like if I'm going to share anything, let it be like, positive news Mm -hmm. or something that's really related to like my art practice or education um it just kind of like to uplift also it also releases so much unnecessary energy that you don't need and that you can utilize that time for other things i totally agree with that i'm still managing a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but i love that idea of like how what can i share how much can i share and the I'm also trying to be more intentional about process, like mm-hmm. sharing processes. Yeah. I'm it's really guarded with that, which is crazy. I, I'd yeah. like to be more open, but like, I don't, I don't like to be judged before I'm done with something. Oh, interesting. So like, and I know like when you share something, there, there's the like button, there's the comment thing. I'm like, I don't want to hear nothing. Like, don't even say anything about <laughs> what I'm do- like, even if it's a good thing, like, Oh, I'll keep, you know, I like that. Keep it going. I feel like, mm-hmm. That might interfere with the process sometimes. Oh, that's um, interesting. At least publicly, like some, I have like some friends who I'll send things to yeah. that are in, you know in progress, and I'll be like, "Yo, check this out," and I'll get their feedback. But something about putting things out in the public. I know, an, yeah, I know an artist who was. I don't know if they're still doing this because they also have a, had a, a child and are mm-hmm. doing lots of things, but they were using social media as a as a tool for um creative process meaning mm. i'm tinkering with this thing yeah and um what do you think the title of this is mm. or i'm tinkering with this thing this is a lyric i can't come up with this like the word for this i admire that it was it, i thought that was very very cool and brave, brave to go into that space again i don't know if they're they're doing because i haven't seen them on my my feed recently but yeah. that doesn't mean anything Um, necessarily it's just it's i think that you know what i what i do like about these Mm -hmm. platforms um when people are trying to use them for good (laughs) Mm -hmm. is that we there's there are so many different ways Mm -hmm. and angles to approach yeah being present on these spaces um and engaging and connecting with others Mm -hmm. but i agree with you about the like feeling jealous and those those emotions Mm -hmm. feel very um inauthentic and strange in 
you know, and yet it ha- it definitely happens. Because they're not, because then I feel like part of it is like, it's not happening in real life, mm-hmm. like in front of you with, it's happening through a screen mm. and to feel those emotions through a screen is, is strange, especially like if it's somebody you don't even know, that's even weirder to me. Like, and that, and that definitely happens, mm. you know? Um, but yeah, on another note, like I tried to do like a uh, live streaming on Instagram. I've done it a few times yeah. where I'll just be like, well, I'll just like make beats. I also make uh, beats, which I don't really share a lot, but it's mostly just me experimenting with sounds and rhythm. Mm. And I went live a couple of times and it was so distracting because like, I was trying not to look at the phone, but then you see like people pop in and like wave and do stuff. And it would kind of take me out of what mm. I was doing. Um, and then I'd be thinking like, oh, what is somebody thinking about what I'm doing? And I'm like, that. Yeah. I don't want that, I don't want that yeah. thought to I, interrupt I, my the process. The live thing I've not done, I did like, like i haven't really gone to i did one live thing once but i like to just make a video Mm -hmm. and then figure out how to post that video i haven't done a ton of that either but there's i think that there's something because then you don't have to worry so much Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. while you're in the moment yeah yeah but like i don't know as a performer or fairly new performer like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like i should get used to people seeing the process maybe you need to do oh yeah i mean you don't, you know, no pressure. Don't put the pressure on yourself if you don't need yeah, it. I mean, I, I don't know. There's always pressure with me. I don't know. There's Interesting. Always... Let's talk more about that. I think it's just anxiety. Just general anxiety. Well, I mean, is it, do you think that um, that process thing that you're talking about of like opening up the process uh, and it be, having, it, you know, bringing up anxiety, is that partly to do with like where you came from in terms of your professional career? you know, sitting in a studio or sitting in a, in a, you know, space where like you had to, yeah, you had to come up with a product. Um, and if it wasn't strong or, you know, that, I don't know. I'm just curious. Maybe, um, trying to think back, like when I was doing motion design, yeah, you had times when that producer was just over your shoulder Mm -hmm. and kind of like making suggestions as you were trying to create. And sometimes those suggestions wouldn't make sense or like, You'd be like, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I think the biggest thing that came out of that is I just realized that I want to do what I want to do. And then, like, as a designer, you can't really do that unless mm. you're, like, really, really dope and established and somebody's just, like, do your thing. Do your thing, yeah. Um, when, when you're creating somebody else's design, there's always this other, you know, there's always a lot of cooks in the kitchen telling you how to make make the food. And I think for me, when I'm like really, unless it's like an actual collaboration, Mm -hmm. which I I love collaborations, um, unless it's that, it's usually like, I don't, I don't really like the feeling of somebody telling me how to do something. Cause I I really, Mm -hmm. I think I really appreciate my own creativity and I take pride in that. I think that's one of like my most valuable assets. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of why I moved over to like art, because like you can't tell so you can't tell an artist like what to do. It's like just gonna be what they do. Mm-hmm. It's up to them to want to change it. Um, or it's more about self expression, really. It's like if you feel this way, you do it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you feel this way, you make this brushstroke or you make this sound. Right. Um, I just really think it's about being told what to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I don't like that, being told what to yeah, do I, I, I'm, I have to work on it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But in in theater and in devising, when you're making original work, 
it's nothing but process. So mm. you have to open it up. And at a certain point, you're just navel gazing. So in order to move into the next sort of phase of, of work, mm-hmm. um, you need to invite people in and yeah. give your things. And, and sometimes it's, you know, in a, in a more commercial setting, right. it's producers, right. Or yeah. it's people who are going to invest in it yeah. for somebody like me, who's like small potatoes, mm. you know, it's, it's people that I trust that yeah. are doing also doing interesting work, but different or 10 that's aligned, but you know, that, right. uh, I can ask them in and be like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Really. Yeah. Am I doing something? Tell me if I'm doing something. And if I'm not, please tell me, you know, and then, or give me some pointers. And mm-hmm. so you can also create like, um, certain feedback protocols, right? right? So you can set the, the tone for it. Yeah. And there are definitely yeah. different protocols out there for getting and receiving, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, giving and receiving, um, feedback that has been helpful. But I think that's part of my, like, it's a, such an education way of working that Mm. to apply that education um philosophy to art making um and vice versa like the art making processes into teaching those those feeding um i'm making like a what is this not the figure eight the infinity sign Mm -hmm. um you know that the the the, that flow back and forth actually makes all the work Mm -hmm. that we do whether it's teaching or art making stronger um, and the processes therein stronger. So talking about process mm. and that infinity symbol, uh, I kind of just like maybe recently had a realization about what was happening with my own practice mm. and and teaching. Um, and I find that, well, first of all, MoMA kind of brought me on to uh, teach the things uh, that I was currently experimenting with or that I am currently experimenting with as an audiovisual artist. Um, so I've been doing like a series of audiovisual production or and performance classes there. And basically they're interested in what I'm currently working on. Um, so if I'm experimenting with projection, then I might do a projection class. If I'm experimenting with um, live performance and I might integrate live performance into, into, my class or if I'm experimenting with like masquerading costume making that's that'll be a part of my class um so it's been really like cool to be able to incorporate my practice while I'm still developing it but one thing I notice is that is that when I um when I'm teaching and I'm getting I'm preparing for a class or or explaining something to my students just the act of explaining what it is I'm doing helps me understand it better or think about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then also when the students have questions or when they try to do these things, they might come up with different ways um, that influence me. And I'm like, hold mm-hmm. on, I never thought about doing it that way. I never expected that. So like just the the art of teaching actually has influenced my own practice and, and process um, and, and it's actually been like a really important part of it mm-hmm. because there, there have been times when I haven't been like motivated or I can't think of an idea, but then I've signed on to do this class. So I'm like, dang, I got to show them something new. I can't be showing them this old work. <laughs> so let me, let me make something mm-hmm. and then I'll make something and that will just get me like jump started, mm-hmm. you know, into a new project. Um, or like there might be a new technique that I want to teach. I got to learn it before I teach it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, let me get in with the, let me just dig deep in the tutorials, you know, and, and experiment with it. Um, and then 
I tell my students like on the first day of class, it's, this is not really a class. This is more of like, this is an intergenerational exchange of information. Because nice. I, I know certain things from my generation and my time period. I got certain references uh, in terms of music and art. And I know y'all do too, especially mm. with technology. Mm. Um, my students first put me on a Snapchat. They're like, yo, do you have a Snapchat? A what? <laughs> um, and so like they're on the cutting edge and I know mm-hmm. some of the older stuff and together we can kind of create this like infinity symbol of information just yeah. flowing. And that's been like really helpful yeah. um, for me. I don't get to, to work with kids as much mm-hmm. um, on a teaching level um, in my particular role, which is really a shame because I felt the same way when I was teaching more regularly. Mm. Um, they just have this, they are life you know mm-hmm. and they're just their energy is so awesome mm-hmm. and then their like connectivity and their quickness and right. all that stuff is just like they keep you amazing. fresh yeah they definitely keep you fresh. yeah you learn all the new slang oh yeah know. yeah i don't i don't know nothing <laughs> i really don't Thank you for listening to episode 29, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Ali Santana, There's No Slash in Innovation. Join us next time for act two. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The Gram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and enjoy the hashtag Keep Making Art video series. There's a super sweet one with Courtney and our theme song human, John O'Waldman. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with the teaching artists in your life. <laughs>